Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Howard. Hello, Oilers fans. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley for the Edmonton Oilers training camp officially underway. There's morning skates. There's afternoon skates. A whole lot going on. Of course, we had the rookie camp, some storylines there. And, and with all this happening, I'm not going to waste any more time. I'm just going to get right to our guest. We are now joined by Brennan Clack. You can give him a follow on Twitter. At NHL Update, he's a contributor at Fantrax. He works down the dial for me at 6.30. Chet, Clack, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Connor. I feel like the, the, the smell of hockey is in the air. No, it's not COVID. It's hockey. <laughs> I mean, the smell of hockey. I just think of old hockey bag. And, uh, you know, there's a time and place where, where, where that's just something. I guess you like to smell. It means good things are coming. And, you know, we're now here on Tuesday and, uh, the Oilers day two training camp. Uh, we saw what happened in day one and, and there's lots to get to, but let's just go back just a little bit here. Of course, the Oilers, the, the young stars, the rookies took on the Calgary Flames in two games. And, you know, th- th- these games, I don't look a whole lot into like, there's a small percentage of guys that you know might contribute for the Oilers down the line, and and, and we hope for the for more than that. But being totally honest, uh, you know, a couple draft picks from each draft class might play for the team. Looking back at those two games against the Flames rookies, was there anyone that stood out to you? Well, first, Connor, I'm going to mention that when I say smell of hockey, the first thing that comes in my mind is when you're in that Oliver dressing room and it's a closet. <laughs> and some guy comes in and he didn't wash his equipment. Yeah. That's the first thought. I always have that kind of picture of just someone with a bag over their shoulder just drops it and the goalie's always getting changed in the bathroom. Because <laughs> there's no room. But I love the Oliver rink, so that's no slight on them. It's a classic one. And uh as for the rookie games, I felt like there wasn't a lot of standout performances. I mean, there was a couple guys that I thought looked pretty good. I, I thought Raphael Lavoie was excellent. I mean, for what I wanted to see from him, using his size, some snipes. I mean, I always kind of compared him to Benoit Pouliot in that I feel like he's going to be a, and I don't, before anyone shudders, like, oh, Benoit Pouliot, he was good for the Oilers for a few years. He suffered some injuries, but a guy with size that can forecheck and, put the puck in the net a few times and and be a valuable middle six kind of guy. That's who I see Raphael Lavoie being. So I liked his game. I liked Ilya Konovalov in net. I thought he was quite steady. 
I think that he's still the best goalie prospect the Oilers have for going forward, that there's a potential for Konovalov to maybe be a 1B or a backup at the NHL level. I do, th- I do think he has NHL ability, and he has that KHL experience already. Uh, Philip Broberg is the guy that everyone was kind of watching. They kind of wanted to see how Broberg, Broberg looked, and, and from what I saw, there's good and there's bad still. I don't know if I see a NHL pro at all yet who's ready. Like, There's definitely qualities in his game I like. The fact that he can skate really well and transport the puck reminds one very easily of Darnell Nurse. Like he has a lot of Darnell Nurse capability in the way he skates and transports. And that was apparent in the rookie game that I saw when when just Broberg was able to go and kind of take off and make a few plays happen. That was good to see. But there's still some hockey sense issues with Broberg that I'm not necessarily knowing if he's going to fix them or not. I would assume that he will when he gets to Bakersfield and he has Jay Woodcroft there who's already helped a few defensemen grow with the Oilers and he gets that North American time that he'll figure out the game a bit better. But yeah, I didn't think he was an NHLer. I didn't, I didn't watch Broberg and say, wow, I was blown away. He was amazing. No, I don't think I saw that with him. He's going to need some time. I also think Henry Rubinsky, like Henry Rubinsky didn't get signed by the Oilers yet. And he was a guy that Florida had just dropped from the draft a year ago or so. But Rubinsky had the two goals and he's got enough production in his history as a WHL player that he's at least intriguing. He at least showed his name out there. Yeah, and I want to just stick with uh, Philip Broberg right now because I remember over the summer, honestly, I don't follow him on Twitter, but there was the, the Jay Fresh guy who, you know, put the, the chances of him being a full-time NHLer, I think it was 50-50, and the chance of being a superstar was like 3%. I mean, and I don't think Philip Broberg needs to necessarily be a superstar. You need him to be a, an NHLer player, though. I mean, he's got to be a guy who's constantly in your lineup when you get that first-round draft status, or else it's a bit of a swing and a miss. We've seen what the Condors have done the last couple of years with defensemen, notably Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones, you know, turning kind of late-round picks into NHLers that you've been able to trade away for other assets. How much do you think that Philip Broberg can grow with a year or two with Jay Woodcroft in the Bakersfield Condors, and, and what do you think he can become with that skill set? Well, I also think Evan Bouchard was also a guy that grew in Bakersfield, yeah. and I think you're going to see the benefits reaped from him as soon as this season, especially after all the things Dave Tippett has said about him. But but Philip Broberg, I kind of see a guy who just needs more confidence with his offensive ability and his puck moving ability, a guy that gets that ice time and, and confidence from his coach to go, hey, you can take a, a bit more risks. Because when Broberg was really good at the U18s or sometimes at the World Juniors, like you'd see a guy that would go end to end to the net and crash the net and whoa, a defenseman's doing this with that kind of speed. That's nuts. Well, that only comes with time to acclimate to the North American game. So I'm I'm personally not that high on Broberg myself for his full upside. I'm not sure if he's a top-pairing defenseman. I don't know if he has all the tools that you would want in a top-pairing defenseman, but he does have some really inter- interesting tools to be a full-time NHLer. And at this point, you know, I saw an article from Jim Matheson where he said, well, Broberg's kind of like Jay Bomeister. Well, yeah, but Bomeister was more elite offensively when he started his career. But if Broberg can be like Jay Bomeister defensively by the time he's in his third or fourth year in the NHL, and he also has the confidence to still make plays, 
I think you'd be pretty happy with that. I think you'd be happy with a second pairing guy that plays 20 to 21 minutes and still is quite stable back there. Even if it's the guy, even if he ends up being like a cleft bomb, I think he'd be pretty happy with it. So he's going to have time to develop some skills with Jay Woodcroft and the confidence factor is the main thing, but it's finding his hands and his, his ability to do things with the puck because his skating is already there. Arguably it's already the tools when it comes to the actual physical tools, his height, his skating, that's all kind of there. It's just, what do you do with your brain? And that's what Broberg needs to learn or not learn. And if he, if he busts it, that's, that's to me the the line of, what we need to see out of Broberg is do you have more ability with the puck? Another name that uh, unfortunately we didn't get to see a whole lot of, but uh, we'll just stick with the young defenseman trend here, Dmitry Samarukov. And, uh, you know, the broken jaw is going to keep him out of the lineup for a little bit. But, you know, I, I got to think with the broken jaw, you can still stay in shape a little bit, do some cardio, obviously nothing too strenuous. But what do you expect from him when he makes that jump to the AHL this year? Well, Dmitry Samarukov, one of the nice things about him is that he's already had that KHL time and arguably played bigger minutes than Philip Broberg on many occasions in what's probably a more competitive league in the KHL over the SHL. No, the gap's not big, but there's a bit of a gap there. So what I expect from him coming over is just to be solid at the beginning, although now we have to give that buffer time for the injury, but... I think he's going to be a guy like we saw with Dmitry Kulikov where he can be a, a defensive defenseman that's physical and can be a shot suppressing guy and is really hard to play against in his own zone. And any offense that comes to is bonus. And we have seen Sam Rukov been able to do that in Guelph or at other times in his career, like the world juniors where he's got an extra element, but that'll come. I just want to see him be solid defensively off the top. And I think that if he's, even just that, if he's just a defensive defenseman and he's and he's Kulikov from today versus, say, Kulikov from the start of his career when he had a heavy shot and he was more offensive, then I think Samarukov is still going to have an NHL career. I think he's still going to be at least maybe in William Loggison territory, but I think better just based on what I've seen from him in the KHL so far and in his career. I think he's got a higher upside than Loggison, but... That's all I want to see from him is just what did you learn in the KHL defensively? That's a tight league. They play quite a defensive game and a shell game there. What did you learn from that? And that's what I want to see from him off the top. There's another few guys uh, that you know I'm going to be intrigued to watch. I'll see how much preseason time they get and, and how it translates, but likely to end up in the AHL. And and one guy for me, and this was uh, we had Ryan Holt on the podcast a while ago. He's the voice that the Bakersfield Condors, and he mentioned Marcus Niemelainen, uh, a bigger guy who who looked like he was trending in the right direction before suffering an injury. So that's one guy for me that I want to watch in the AHL just to see how he develops. And who knows, maybe it's a long shot, but someone to keep an eye on. Is there anyone you think, just from the guys that are at camp right now, that likely don't make the Oilers squad this year, but down the road could be something? Well, there, there's kind of a funny one that, that it's it's a guy that I don't I don't know if I would have said this when he got drafted, but I've got a, a friend also who's big into Oilers prospects, and he is adamant that Philip Kemp is going to become something. And the thing with <laughs> Philip Kemp is that he's not flashy at all. He's not sexy he's not offensive at all like he's just a defensive defenseman guy that you can have in your lineup and they can block shots and penalty kill but the thing is the Edmonton Oilers they almost have a bit of an absence of that right now because Adam Larson left 
and Chris Russell only has a year left on his deal. And we just talked about Sam Rukov being a more physical kind of presence type of guy. Well, that's what Philip Kemp is. So he might be a guy that down the line surprises people that, oh, this seventh round guy made the lineup. Well, it's not impossible. And he did score a goal in the playoffs last year for Bakersfield. So he's a guy that might surprise. Obviously, I think Raphael Lavoie is a guy that is going to also be a potential NHLer sooner than people think. And he's a guy that I'm watching right away as a surprise call-up potentially mid-season if there are injuries. Not to mention that the Oilers' right side just got kind of interesting with Josh Archibald potentially missing a lot of time during the season due to his unvaccinated status. That gives the right side a little bit of breathing room for guys that want to come up. Well, I'm going to ask you about that because, I mean, that's a, it's a hot-button issue, right? It's something that a lot of people weigh in on, and, and depending on you know how you look at things, you might think he's well, a trailblazer for doing this. You might praise him for it. Other people say, you know, what are you doing? You're, you're kind of <laughs> ruining a good thing going on right here. And, uh, working at TSN 1260, I've seen both sides of those things in our inbox clock. Uh, you're with Chet. I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard stories of people that kind of go both ways on that. So we'll, we'll talk about, uh, Mr. Archibald a little bit on later, but later on in the show here today. But I want to drop back to the goaltending right now. And, uh, you talked about kind of all of as a guy that, you know, could be the, the top prospect right now. Obviously, Stuart Skinner's another one, Olivier Rodrigue. The common sense here is that someone needs to step up and, and become that top prospect for the, the Oilers going forward. Mikko Koskinen and Mike Smith will be the guys this year in the NHL. But for you, is it kind of all of? Do you think he kind of, you know, get, gets out in front there and, and is the guy to become that top prospect for the Oilers between the pipes? Well, there's a bit of added pressure for any of the Oilers prospects, like any of the guys on the Oilers that that wanted to try to rise above and be that guy. Well, Edmonton at the draft basically had Jesper Wallstead in their lap. And they said, no, they said, we don't need this guy. And that puts a bit of pressure to me on the goalies they have. Cause they looked at their goalies and they thought we have enough guys that we think can rise. And I would say Konovalov is my favorite of the goalie prospects because he has established uh, established stats in the KHL already that, show that he can play at a pro level efficiently and good. Now he wasn't necessarily consistent, but he's really young. And I do think that Konovalov is a guy that could be in the, not quite as good as Sorokin or Shesterkin or the, some of the Russian goalies coming over, but I do think that he can have a career and that is still important for the Oilers goalie depth. Whereas Stuart Skinner is kind of interesting. Like there was nothing that impressed me about his game when I watched Stuart Skinner until I would say this last little bit of run in Bakersfield, but he had a great end of the season. He ended up at 29 and one, uh, 20 wins, nine losses and, and one OT loss. And he had a nine fourteen save percentage and he had a decentish playoff. I mean, he wasn't as good in the playoffs, but the thing is Stuart Skinner, like, and the playoffs were weird. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but, but Stuart Skinner, like, I think he actually had a really good ending to the year that showed me that maybe he does have some technical skill, that can carry over the NHL. His start was very not good. Like when his, his NHL start was rough. I did feel like anything that Ottawa shot at the net had a chance to go in, but it was a really unfair position for him to be in, in the first place. And I didn't expect him to be all worldly in that game. Uh, but, but there is some potential with Stuart Skinner still, but I would take Konovalov as my guy for just, I thought he looked steady too in the rookie game. That's just, that's just me, but uh, it might just be me. I don't know. I thought I thought Konovalov's KHL experience is currently putting him in the lead for sure. And I don't care that he's small. 
because I you, tell UC Soros that 5'11 is too small to be in the NHL. I think 5'11 is fine, and kind of all of his 5'11, six feet in that range, it still can work. Now, uh, going up to the forwards, uh, lots of lots of fun guys to watch right now, obviously. And um, I mean, you mentioned uh, Henry Binsky there, uh, a guy who who knows down the road could happen. But uh, let's just go right to Josh Archibald. That, that's a funny conversation right there. Obviously, it comes out that he's the guy on the Oilers roster that's unvaccinated, and obviously, it doesn't seem like he's in a huge hurry to to go out there and get the vaccine. I know Ken Holland has said, you know, they're going to wait and see and and see if they can maybe nudge him in that direction or try to convince him that it it might be a good thing to do. If he decides to to stick with his guns and not go out there and get the vaccine. Do you keep him on the roster? Because obviously, you know, there's going to be some issues with travel and who knows that that could be a topic that is in the room and discussed internally. Is he worth it at this stage of his career? Or do you think you can look somewhere else, a younger player, um, to just to take those minutes and, and kind of get rid of that distraction? Well, I, I don't want to completely go into the should you be vaccinated or not argument. I'm, I'm fully vaccinated, I believe that everyone should be fully vaccinated. That's just, that, that's what I think. But let's take that aside. Let's put all that away and just look at the hockey perspective. The hockey perspective is based on the NHL's protocols and based on how Canada as a border will be operating. Archibald is going to miss 30 games this season because he's chosen this. So he's going to miss 30 games. So you have a fourth line player who's making 1.5 million who can only play 52 of 82 games if he's healthy the whole season. If he gets hurt, then he can only play, you know, 30, 40 of the games of the season. And on top of that, he can't even start a training camp because he's not up to speed because of the quarantine. So he's already not in the main group and he already needs to get back to that level of play for Dave Tibbet to be happy with him. So, I mean, at the end of the day, if you bury him, it's not a lot of savings, but it could be enough savings for the the Oilers to help them at the trade deadline. And I think they have to consider it a little bit, considering they have other options that can fill in. Like Archibald is not a five on five player; he is a power play or a penalty kill. Yeah, don't put Archibald in the power play, but he's a penalty <laughs> kill guy who is quite admirable in that role. I think I think we can all agree that Josh Archibald is pretty good on the penalty kill. But here's a guy that needed to have a really good start to his camp because. He wasn't on the penalty kill against the Jets because he was the one that took the penalty against Logan Stanley that led to the collapse in game three. And it was a selfish penalty. And he's coming from a position where he needs to show everybody that he doesn't do things like that. And he's not an idiot and that he can contribute and not put his team behind the eight ball like he did in an important game. And now he's already himself behind the eight ball. So if he's the best right winger they have, then they might still finagle ways where he plays 30 to 40 games. But now he's given Colton Sevier a chance to get a roster spot. And he's given Cooper Marodi a chance to have a roster spot on the right side. And if he loses out, he loses out. Like just from a hockey perspective, it's hard to be like, hey, you're going to miss 30 games and you're already behind the eight ball. Here's your guaranteed roster spot. No, he should have to fight for it now. And if he doesn't get it, he doesn't get it. And if he goes to Bakersfield and he plays excellent, he's going to have to wait 14 days before he can play again if they call him back up. So I guess it's going to depend on how his training camp goes once he's ready to go, but who knows when that is. So just from a hockey perspective, it's kind of tough for me to go, well, this is fine. Well, no, because there's hoops around the rules 
that make it harder for Josh Archibald to establish himself. And he's not a top line player. He's not a guy that I think is important enough to just be able to wait on. I think he has to now earn his spot back. Week two of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner to the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week three game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana. Indiana, 1-800-9 with it. Now, back to the conversation with Brennan Clack. Yeah, you brought up the Game 3 against the Winnipeg Jets. For those who forgot, Oilers are up, uh, what, 4-1 with 8.50 left in the third period, and Josh Archibald decides to go kind of nomad. He, he made that decision on himself. He's got to go get justice on Logan Stanley. And uh, to me, that was one of the big turning points of that series. I couldn't believe that he did that. I thought it was a selfish, stupid play and uh, came back to haunt the Oilers. He was on a short leash for me anyways. And and now you factor this thing in here, Clack, I... You know what? If he didn't play another game, I wouldn't be too upset. I think there's there's people that will do whatever it takes to get into the NHL. They'll you know fight fight for that, and uh, you know maybe can keep a a little bit better a head on their shoulders in an instant where that where you you just don't have to take a stupid penalty. That that's just my frustration from last year boiling over. So well, we'll see how it plays out, and if anything changes, like Ken Holland says, uh, we'll see where we are in seven to ten days, and. And, and then maybe they make a new decision there. Uh, clack on Monday, the boys got out there for the skate. There was the, uh, the morning skate, which featured Connor McDavid, Zach Hyman, Jesse Pugliarvi on the top line. Uh, the pairings were Slater Cuckoo and Evan Bouchard. And from what I heard, Dave Tippett had those, those groups going head to head, kind of throwing Evan Bouchard out there against that top line to really throw him out there. And, you know, you and I are both football fans. We hear it all the time when it comes to, you know, receivers on corners, iron sharpens iron, uh, a left tackle against a stud defensive end. They're just going to make each other better. I'm a huge fan of this. Like, I, I think it's awesome. Evan Bouchard, put him out there and practice against the best players of the world and let him learn that way because you're not going to meet anyone better on the ice. What do you think of this strategy by Dave Tippett? Well, I, I, I believe that Dave Tippett knows what he did last season, and that was bench Bouchard a lot. I mean, let's be honest, he didn't play very much. He played 14 games. He scored a goal and then got benched the next game. Like It wasn't like Evan Bouchard got any kind of good treatment because he was a first-rounder. He sat a lot, and he didn't play a lot. And I think Tippett understands that you know Bouchard is still our top prospect on this team and he still has immense passing ability. He could completely transform the blue line. And because of that, we have to get him in situations that are a bit more uncomfortable so we can learn the defensive side of the game better because that's the one knock on his game is that defensively he still has a bit of growth in his game that he needs. So I love it. I love put give Bouchard all the potential development that he needs. Keep having McDavid rush at him. I don't care because it's practice. 
It's learning about speed and gap control. And McDavid is the best of the best in the NHL to have to learn against. So I hope that Tippett, any of the young players, I hope that Tippett puts them against McDavid or Dreisaitl and, and gets them time to, to acclimate to that kind of thing. And I think that Evan Bouchard is going to be an incredibly important piece for the Oilers this season and going forward. And I think that Jay Woodcroft being kind of around him for a while also has helped Bouchard's game. And, and I think that the Oilers know that he's important. So we got to get him ready and they should be doing everything they can to make sure that he's ready to go. Another line in the morning skate was uh, Perlini, Shore, and Turris. Now, Clack, of those three, who plays the most games for the Oilers this year? Well, I'm not a fan of really any of them for a regular <laughs> role on the, the Oilers roster. Like, if any of those three have a regular role, there's depth issues already. But if you're going to make me pick... I'm making you. I would say I'm thinking it's going to be Shore because Dave Tippett likes Shore in the penalty kill. Tippett's a big fan of dressing extra penalty kill players, guys that you can trust out there. We know we can trust Devin Shore because we saw it a lot last season. So I would bet that Devin Shore plays the most games of those three. But I do think they're going to give Kyle Turris a chance. I do think they're going to give Turris a chance to come back and try to make his way back in the lineup, especially because they're paying him anyway. And I believe his salary is more this season than last season. So even though the cap is the same, he's being paid more real dollars. So they're going to give him every chance. I just think that Shore is probably the guy that Tippett already knows from last season's penalty kill and playoff run where Turris was more of a, you know, last afterthought. I, I would go with Shore. Now, in the afternoon, a Nuge, Drysaddle, Yamamoto playing together, probably not the biggest surprise there. Uh, we saw what they could do a couple of years ago. Last year, couldn't really quite find the level of producti- productivity that they did find the year before, but that was pretty much expected. Uh, when you look at the top two lines for the Oilers, uh, the other being McDavid, Piarvi, and Hyman, how long do you think we go seeing these uh, groups stuck uh, together before, I mean, inevitably, Dave Tippett decides to make some changes here? Well, Dave Tippett is quite convinced in himself sometimes that he has to put McDavid and Drysaddle <laughs> together. So as much as I like these lines a lot, and I think that the top two lines are excellent, I think that they can do a lot of damage for, for Edmonton this season. I'm still kind of like, is it going to be three games? Like it won't, I don't <laughs> think it's going to be that long. I think that if, if, the Oilers, if the Oilers are down in a game, even if it's the first game of the season and they have a chance to get one more goal, and it's the third period, you might see McDavid with Drysaddle already. And we already saw the ability for Jesse Pugliarvi to be pulled off of the top line and for Zach Cassian to go back in the top six. I think that's also a possibility at different points this season, partly because of what they're paying Cassian, that they might feel like they have to give him that chance. I don't know. I mean, that's not how I roll, but... That might be how Tippett thinks, and he already has done it before in the playoffs. So those lines on paper are excellent, but I don't really trust Tippett to go with them all the time. I think he will do some mixing and matching, and some of it will be good, and some of it will not be so good. And you'll probably hear complaints about it all season long. Just I don't think any coach leaves a line together all season long unless it's Marchand and Bergeron and Pasternak. Then that line never gets separated unless there's an injury. But in this case, there's, there is going to be some chemistry required out of Zach Hyman for him to keep his spot up with McDavid for a while. If the production's not quite there, they might flip him with dry settle and Nuge. They might flip Nuge back up. They might 
flip Yamamoto to McDavid's line. I mean, Tippett has not ever really kept one thing together. If, if it ever came to a point where, let's say, you know, you, you want McDavid and Drysaddle back together, um, maybe you want to have a little bit more size on the second line, so you do McDavid, Drysaddle, Yamamoto, then you've got Nuge, Hyman, and say Jesse Pugliarvi. Like, is that would that be a second line you'd have confidence in? Kinda. I mean, it all depends on that second line as to who is exactly on it. I mean, if it's if it's Hyman and Pulley-Arvey still together and it's with Dreisaitl at center, let's say, then yeah. I mean, if McDavid and Dreisaitl, it doesn't matter who's on the ice between the two of them, I'm confident. But if it's Nuge with Hyman and Pulley-Arvey, it might work. I mean, they all can keep possession. They can all score. I get more in trouble when you have Yamamoto with Nuge and then a guy on the left like that. I've seen that before without Dreisaitl. I haven't loved it. Um, I would have, I mean, I would have okay confidence in it, but it's not the same. Like you have a chance to have two really balanced lines and, you know, I don't know. Like if you have, that's the, that's the the problem with stacking McDavid and Dreisaitl is that you don't have Jake Gensel, let's say if Pittsburgh were, they don't ever really stack Crosby and Malkin, but they always would have Jake Gensel, a point per game guy to, fill the second line. Well, they still don't really have that, but Hyman helps. It gives me more confidence for sure. Cause I think he's can, he can do a lot of things on his own. It doesn't matter what line he's on. He can fit with anybody. So it also depends on yes, he development and, and how he kind of takes off as his own player. Does he need McDavid or can he start driving the net and making his own plays more? That's a factor too. in making that second line without McDavid or dry more, more palatable looking at the bottom six and i know uh you know at times last year when mcdavid and dry were anchoring their own lines they'd go off and then the, the bottom six would come out and a lot of times get outworked outplayed out hustle all sorts of things like that something that they tried to address in the offseason warren fogel comes over from the carolina hurricanes for ethan bear he signed Derek ryan and you know it's looking like cassian could probably be in that bottom six did you think that you know, the management and Ken Holland did enough to improve the bottom six for this team and, and maybe hoping that McLeod takes another step forward. I, I do. And I don't like, I, I feel like they got their two best bottom six players this off season. Like I feel like Warren Fogle and Derek Ryan are two guys that this organization did not have two bonafide NHLers that push possession that are in your bottom six that have a good history of, of performance they didn't really have a lot of that, if any of that last season that was consistent. And the nice thing about Fogle is that he's still pretty young, even though he has a lot of experience. So he's got that nice mix of things. He might even get bumped up at times, but at the same time, I'm kind of looking at the lines that they're trying out and I'm going, eh, it's kind of like they have two fourth lines, like Warren Fogle, I think is a third line player but Derek Ryan was on Calgary's fourth line and Zach Cassian, we don't really know. Like he was a fourth line player the way he played last season and not a good one. But at times you have that Zach Cassian where it's like, oh, he's got a lot of energy. He's trying hard. He, he scored against Winnipeg in the playoffs. He's he's moving. So it could work. Like there's a possibility Fogel Ryan Cassian's a great third line, but it also kind of looks like a fourth line on a contender that is on a third line of this team. And then the fourth line, yeah, what does Ryan McLeod do this season? Does he have more offense? Well, I think he would if he had better wingers. Well, who are his wingers? Tyler Benson and Cooper Marodi? Are we going to reunite the Bakersfield three? Or is Josh Archibald going to make himself 
available and be back in the lineup or do they sign Colton Sevier? There's still some question marks here that doesn't make me super excited. Like if you look at Tampa Bay last year and they won the cup, well, their third line had Coleman, Gordon, Goudreau on it. Well, all three of those guys are NHL players and no one's questioning it. And they would be on some teams' top sixes. And that's exactly what is going to happen with Blake Coleman and Yanni Gord. They're going to be in some top sixes. So if, if Edmonton's going to run into a team with more depth like Vegas, who has Evgeny Dadnov on their third line and maybe Nolan Patrick is improved and ready to go or something along those lines and they'll have Alex Tuck back eventually. Will they be able to match up with that depth? I'm not, I'm not sure, but they improved it for probably the first time in a long time where I really felt like, Oh, they added some, some good pieces here that are possession worthy. I would say now clock. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not like an analyst when it comes to people's voices, but when I was asking you about lines and you talked about Dave Tippett, I, I sensed something there that you might not be overly confident in Dave Tippett. Now, this is his final year under contract as head coach of the Oilers. We've seen improvements in certain areas. They've made the playoffs both years, but not won a series. Now, if Dave Tippett doesn't win a series this year, do you think he's extended or do you think the Oilers start to look for a new coach? Well, it's going to depend on how they lose in the playoffs, right? Um, if they were to lose in the first round, let's say, because if the if the Oilers win a round, I think Dave Tippett's safe. If they've won a round, it means that they've improved. It means that they've beaten the results that they've had from the last two seasons. And Ken Holland would probably go, look, even if we didn't win the cup, we saw some results here and Dave Tippett led us there. So I don't think they would let him go if they win a round, but if they lose a round, or miss the playoffs. I mean, if they miss the playoffs entirely, I think Tippett's gone. But if they were to make the playoffs and be out in a round, if it's a seven-game series that's really tight, where it went to a couple overtimes and a couple weird bounces happened and McDavid still went off and it just it just didn't materialize, then I still think that Tippett would get an extension because it would show that the Oilers played competitive hockey at an important time and went the distance, which that would still show as an improvement. But if, if the, if the Oilers get bumped again in four games or five games or even six games where it didn't really look that close, then I think they will end up looking at the coaching market and going, going like, well, three times like this, like this is Connor McDavid's prime. Like Ken Holland spent a lot of money, whether you, you agree with how he spent it or not, they spent a lot of money to make this a contending team in his eyes. So they can't lose. Like they really just can't lose now. They've, they're up to the cap, and this is McDavid's prime time. So if Dave Tippett coaches this team to another swept loss, yeah, he's done. I, I don't see how he stays on. And am I very confident in him going forward? Based on the results, uh, no. But also, he still has lots of time to prove me wrong. Like I, There's been a lot of issues in the last two playoffs that you can point to and go, that was coaching. Like There is a lot. I mean, there's stuff like no timeout before the collapse continues or there was the Koskinen mishap in the Chicago series when it didn't really, it didn't really give him a, a signal to come on over and there was miscommunication between getting him off the ice in time and just different players playing at weird times of the game. Like you have Zach Cassian on the last minute or you're wondering why is it this guy on? Why isn't that guy on? Who's on the power play, et cetera. But at the same time, they've been a playoff team. And the, the Oilers are not known for being a playoff team due to their long history of darkness that they had. 
So there is, there is things that Tippett's done. That's great. And, and Darnell nurse's game has improved a lot. And that's definitely thanks to Jim Playfair and, and Tippett's coaching and, and what they've done to deploy nurse and Barry with McDavid and all that. But I mean, there's, I think there's pressure now. I think you have to have some results. Don't you? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think so. And I, I don't want to say he's on the hot seat. Cause like, you know, I don't, I don't think he's going to be fired. I think the Oilers will have a good enough, you know, regular season to go on, but he, I, I don't know. I think if they, if they don't win a playoff series, I'm honestly, I'm looking around to see who else is out there and, and it can be a close one, but if they can't get the job done and, you know, they lose another series like Winnipeg where it's, you know, three overtime games where you're, you're just a shot away from winning. I, I still think like that this team has two of the best players in the world. Like, <laughs> head coaches would kill for the opportunity to have this group and you've got to get results eventually and find a way to make it work. And and like you said, Ken Holland went out there, he spent the money, he he built his team the best he could, couldn't get that goaltending help. And I know he tried, I know he was close, uh, but it, it just obviously didn't work out. I, I don't know. I need to see some results here. I need to see some wins. So I, I don't know if I go as far as saying he's in the hot seat, but it, it's getting pretty close to that. And I guess just one final question for you. I mean, we, we talked about what Ken Holland did to this team. Are you comfortable in him? Like, are you confident, confident in Ken Holland that he can go out there and build a team that wins? And, you know, like say we get towards the end of the year, we're getting close to the trade deadline. The Oilers are in that spot. Are you confident that he can go out there and make that move to, to really put them over the top? Yeah, I don't know. Like Ken Holland's trade deadline record is quite spotty. You'll you'll probably want to look back at the David Leguan trade when he was in Detroit and go, really? Or Kyle Quincy trade and go, really? Like there's I'm not I'm not oh or how about Andreas Athanasiu? Really? Oh yeah. Like his <laughs> trade deadline record isn't great. Now saying that though, has Ken Holland won a cup? Yeah. So is there always the chance that he recaptures everything? Yeah. But I'm not sure if I'm super confident in him as a general manager going forward. Like the Oilers are going to win no matter what a couple of games because of McDavid and Dreisaitl. So you have two guys that are two of the three best players in the NHL. You're probably going to win games. And I don't think this division is very great. So they should be at least in third in their division. Like there's no excuse for that team with the star, the star power they already have to not be contending in this division, but for the actual playoffs, do they have the depth still? I think there's still questions of forward. And I think Warren Fogel is a good ad, but also do they, do they have enough depth in the bottom six? Do they have enough depth in the top six? Zach Hyman. I really like that move. I know it's a lot of money, but I like the move, but Will Pugliarvi and Yamamoto make those extra jumps or will it still be pretty one-sided as to who's getting the points? Defensively, Duncan Keith, 38 years old. Cody Cece usually has a rough season defensively. Last year might have been his best year. Does he continue that? Does, does Duncan Keith look like old Duncan Keith or does he look like old Duncan Keith? <laughs> Good question. I think there's a lot of question marks on this team. Goaltending too, like we said, it, it didn't get done. And I could see Holland trading for a goalie over anything else at the deadline because he might feel like that's the ticket to saving the team. But I don't know if I'm confident in his ability to use the guide and record book to decide all of his moves. And yet the Hyman move was good. The Barry move I think was good for the price. Maybe it's 50 50. Maybe it's you roll the dice and you hope he picks the right thing, but I'm not probably more confident than that. Yeah. And you know what? The, the, the Stanley cups, obviously like, 
not going to take anything away from him. He put those teams together, but pre-salary cap, like it, it was a different time, right? And they they had such a great core. Obviously, it was easy to get guys to want to join that team and help out. And I know we won the cup in two thousand and eight, but uh, it's it's a different NHL right now. Like it it can be tough. And uh, Edmonton is not Detroit, who's winning Stanley Cups back to back. Yeah, you can sell some of the top end talent, but following that top end talent is a lot of playoff misery and a, a lot of. Uh, a lack thereof success, I should say. Not a lot of, a lack thereof success. So, you know, I, I think he's got his hands full. I think it's going to be tough. And I, I honestly, if you ask me, I can't say I'm overly confident, but there's a gleam. As, as the late Marty Schottenheimer once said, there, there's a gleam there. And uh, hopefully he can figure this one out. Clack, thanks so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. We didn't even talk about Duncan Keith. So maybe uh, in a month or so down the road, once we actually see him out there on the ice, we can get you back on to talk about the actual games. Yeah, no, I'm excited to join again and talk about Duncan Keith. And I really hope that Duncan Keith is better than my expectations of him right now. I hope it's the 30-year-old Duncan Keith and he's just a Norris candidate and everyone can just eat their words. That's what I hope. But the thing is, I'd be one of the people eating my words because I'm not sure if Duncan Keith can ever recover from what he's become. But hey, he's a he's a gamer, man. We, we are all hoping for that clock. Thanks for doing this, buddy. Yeah, no worries. Excellent stuff from Brennan Clack. Give him a follow on Twitter at NHL Update and get his work on fan tracks. And of course, he's producing down now at a 6.30. Ched, lots of fun stuff talking about those Edmonton Oilers. Uh, of course, some of his favorite young players and, and guys he's liking going forward. And it's going to be a very fun season in the NHL in 2021-2022. Of course, we've got the Olympic break that's going to be in there. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, the schedule for Canada at the Olympic Games was released on a Monday. They've got a game against Germany, then they take on the United States, and then a game against China. I'm going to set the over-under for goal score in that one at like plus 13, uh, and I think they'll go over on that one. That one could be a blowout. I'm sure the Canadians will take it easy at some point, but uh, can't wait for this year in hockey, both in the NHL and at the international level. That's going to do it for another episode of the Other Connor Podcast. Thank you once again for tuning in. The Oilers in action on Sunday, their first preseason game taken on the Calgary Flames. It's a 7 o'clock puck drop for your pregame coverage. Tune in to TSN 1260. Tom Gazzola and myself will be back 6 o'clock, as I said, on TSN 1260 for some pregame coverage. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Got to thank our sponsor, DraftKings. If you're going to sign up, THPN is the code word you want to use. NFL underway the nhl around the corner and the nba will be here soon as well lots of fun on DraftKings. big shout out to the hockey podcast and network as well i'm connor halley this has been another episode of the other connor podcast we'll talk to you next time thanks for tuning in to the other connor podcast new shows drop every tuesday and friday wherever you get your podcasts from